right, welcome back to the Iron Man Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. Yeah. And we are here for... <laughs> what was that noise? Your fucking rant. You know that? Like, how are you going to start <laughs> off like that? Nobody wanted to hear that. <laughs> I think... Okay, so this is episode, like, 97. Uh, we're really close to 100, and honestly, we still have no fucking idea what we're going to do for episode 100, but the fact that we're almost 100 episodes in, guys... I mean, round of applause for us, I guess. Like, I'm just going to give a little slow clap for the group. You know... But, What's crazy about that is I've been looking through some of the past podcasts, and sometimes I look at an episode and I'm like, "That was episode 30? Like it'll be like some some like someone just told me someone someone I was talking to from work. I told them about the podcast a long time ago, and they were like, "Yeah, I'm not too big on like nerd culture type stuff, but I'll see if there's anything." I say we have a large library of content, so you might find something. Anyway, she told me that she listened to the Kanye West episode, and not only did I forget that we did an episode on Kanye West. But I also forget what the fuck we said in that episode. So like, <laughs> when she was telling me stuff, I was like, yeah, we're wild. Because she kept saying, who's the Kenny guy? And I was trying to explain who you are. And it was a really weird question to have to answer. Like, who is Kenny? Yeah, yeah. I explained like where we met in 2010, like at Locals playing Yu-Gi-Oh!, which she doesn't really understand and stuff like that. But it was the really interesting thing because she scrolled through all of it. She was like, OK, so I've seen the Queen's Gamma, so I'll probably watch that one. And I love Kanye West, so she listened to that one as well. But uh, it's just, yeah, our library of content has gotten so large that we're it's, almost at 100. I, I was looking through, and I remember I saw, like, our episode with Chris Lynn. And I forget what number it is off the top of my head, but it's, like, actually surprisingly low. Like, it's, like, in the 30s or 40s. And basically, I was just like, man, that felt like it wasn't that long ago. I thought Chris Lynn was very recent. What the fuck? But it... I'm pretty sure it's like I know he's come on multiple times though. So that's like uh, Chris has been here for Final Fantasy VII remake. He's been here for React, and he's also been here for when him and Steve Gleason came on to talk about yeah. the ban list. So Chris has been on the podcast like three times already. But his yes. first one is probably what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember which would have been React. Oh, okay. Actually, it wasn't as far. Actually, I mean, it's the it's not as far back as I thought it was. It was episode 64. There okay. was something else that I saw. That was like, I was just shocked at how far back it was. I was like, man, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And yeah. it like was. I wonder for people who started listening to the podcast, let's say they jumped in like episode 58. Do they go back and listen to the older episodes? Because I know some people do. My friend Jalen actually just started because he's commuting to work. He has an hour commute to work. So that's basically two episodes. Uh, actually, with us, our episodes are usually around two hours. So that's probably one episode a day. But he's been jumping around and picking and choosing. So he's like, I just listened to the, yeah. I just listened to the Bleach episode. I listened to the Naruto episode. He said, like, I don't want to listen to the One Piece episode yet because I am not current. But he just yeah. finished Dress Rosa. I said, you're actually, it's crazy how fast he's gone and he's already up to dress rosa he's just started one piece like a couple months ago like six months ago maybe uh he only watches it which makes it even longer right but i was wondering if people in general like what do they do if you just start at the nazar episode do you go back after you hear that one and you like it do you start listening to the patrick hoban episode do you listen to the joji orlando dale Bolito, all the other Yu-Gi-Oh players like i wonder what people do and i need yeah. to kind of like survey the community I think probably if anybody wants to write in an answer, sure. But I think because like when I find a podcast that I like, I'll watch like a random episode and then I'll just end up watching whatever other episodes catch my eye. Yeah. Like I'll just go like I won't just listen to a podcast like, man, I really like that episode. I can't wait till next week. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I don't, I don't I just go. It's, I go. What else do they already have? up? <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. I'm a completionist, though. So I literally 
for example, one of my favorite shows right now is like RuPaul's Drag Race. It's become really mainstream. I think RuPaul might be the single most winning host that's ever won for a reality competition show at the Emmy. So I think he has like 14 or 15 Emmy wins now, which is fucking insane, right? For being the outstanding host for an, uh, a competition reality series. Anyways, I like the show a lot. I got introduced to it in 2019. I've seen now every single season of the show. But I started with the current season that was airing in 2019. So like, I think it was like season uh, All Stars 4, I think it was. I was watching All Stars 4. And I went back from to like season one and then watched all the way up to that, which was literally probably like 12 seasons at the time. Um, and, yeah. and now there's like so much of it. So I'm a completionist. When I like something, I kind of go back and start watching all yeah, that. Yeah. I kind of want to do that with Big Brother because Big Brother is one of my favorite shows ever. And the first season I saw might have been like, 16 or 17 and then i i went back like a couple seasons and watched and then started to close the gap between let's say i went back to 10 i started closing gap between 10 and 16 and i was like man i should go back even further and i just haven't quite done that yet but yeah big brothers cracked to me there's just a lot of i don't think type of thing so i'm similar in that like you know i'm a completionist and i i like to watch things from the beginning or play things from the beginning like for example everybody tells me like you should play dark souls 3 and I'm like, well, I want to play Dark Souls 3, but I have to play Dark Souls 1 first. They're like, no, 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 don't play Dark Souls 1, just play 3. And then I go, no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm similar in that way. But uh, also, oh, I guess real quick on the Dark Souls note and just games in general. Another reason why that is, is if I were to start, and this could be any series, but I'll continue using Dark Souls. If I were to play Dark Souls 3 first, let's say I really like that game and I want to play more of it. And, like, what if there's not more games to play? Then it's like, oh, I can go back and play the first one. And when you go back on video games, it's like, usually they're worse. Yes. Not because, like, they're bad games, but just mechanically they're older. So if you play the first Dark Souls or insert whatever game that you may or may not like, if you play the first one and you really like it, then you still have more games to look forward to. Whereas if you play the most recent one and then go back, sometimes, like the older ones will turn you off because you're used to the new mechanics. Yeah, that's definitely true. Quality of life improvements. For example, Monster Hunter, which, you know, we just started our last episode on that, and we talk about it all the time. We won't be doing much of that in this episode, but I do want to say that because of the current version of Monster Hunter, which is Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, this has the biggest quality of life improvements out of any game. And if I were to ever try to go back... Fucking car horns. If I were ever try to go back... <laughs> And play the one on, let's say, PSP, the, the first yeah. one on PSP, it would just not feel good. Like, the yeah, claw yeah. grip and then going out of the area, loads, load screens and how long the game takes to load in general. There's a lot of things that would just make it not fun. Um, and, you know, for nostalgia's sake, like, sure, every once in a while you want to go back and play Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9 because turn-based RPGs are lit. But at the same time, you know, I, I still really, really enjoy like the current generation of gaming and like how powerful it is and how yep. how many quality of life improvements there have been made. So it's it's dope. And then so to say all that to say, I don't think I run into that problem with shows that often because I don't tend to watch any like reality TV. Like I don't tend to watch shows where you can watch them in the middle, yeah. like RuPaul's Drag Race. You can watch that at any season. You're not going to get like spoiled, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could, but. Not you can really just watch though, it, yeah. yeah. You can just watch it anytime and then go back and catch up. But I don't know if I really watch any shows like that. Like most shows that I watch are shows that you have to start at episode one. Yeah. I mean, unless unless you're a serial killer, some people will just <laughs> fucking some people will just turn on like 
One Piece, or some people will turn on Game of Thrones like season five and be like, oh, I'm in. All right. Literally, <laughs> so as, as crazy as that is, and that is some psycho shit, I definitely know people who just start things in the middle or they'll yeah. come in on the middle of it and they won't go back and figure out what they missed. They'll just watch it from that point on, which is literally crazy <laughs> shit. Like when people tell me that, I just get nervous around them because their mm-hmm. mind just doesn't give a fuck about anything. Like you don't care about shit. Dude, I knew multiple people that just watched the last season of Game of Thrones. They're like, "Well, it's the last season, so like, I'll just catch this one." And I was <laughs> like, "What? <laughs> what does that mean?" People are dying. You have no fucking clue who they are. You don't care. Oh god, that's yeah, that's terrible. Speaking of which, I saw this really interesting meme. It was it was funny. It was like uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen and her mount is uh you know cyrax and it's had damon targaryen and his mount was caraxes and then it had lanor valerian and his mount was sea smoke the new dragon in episode three and then it had allison hightower and her mount was fucking viserys the king and i just i just couldn't do i just couldn't deal deal. like it's too soon there are so many memes coming out of house of the dragon already which by the way for three episodes in this show is really really fucking good man it is really good. It's it feels it just feels really good. Like it it's avoiding or I don't even I wouldn't even say it's avoiding. It just like isn't all of the pitfalls of the of like the later seasons of the original series like it I'm not seeing evidence of them. Yes. I know it's only been 3 episodes, but I'm not seeing evidence of any of the pitfalls. So The only thing that I could honestly see people comparing it to with the last seasons is how fast things are moving along. Uh but and it looks like you were about to say something as well. The only thing I will say in contrast to that, or like, you know, as a defense of that, is that we are actually in the prologue. And a lot of people don't know that because obviously most people do not read the books or have not read Fire and Blood, the book that this entire thing is based off of. But the yeah. writers are trying to get us to a specific point in history called the Dance of Dragons, where the Targaryens all basically turn on themselves and why we end up with a world with no dragons like game of thrones there were no dragons season one zero until episode 10 like 10 was the first episode with dragons so before 10 there's nine episodes in a whole world that has not no dragons and i think they even said at one point 200 years basically where there's no dragons well what the fuck happened to them right like dragons haven't existed for almost 200 years i think that's a direct quote by somebody in the show maybe in season two when they hear about daenerys the dragons like dragons aren't real dragons haven't existed yeah. for over 200 years we're not worried about what's happening over the narrow sea we'll worry about what's happening in westeros that that type of vibe i forget who said it but somebody did a loot or say something like that and now we're finding out what went wrong this is yep. the beginning of what went wrong but even these first two episodes as dope as they are and as fast paced as they are we're literally moving years at a time between episodes this is a prologue and i don't so, want that to be lost on people the other thing i want to say is not only is it a prologue um it's important to understand that they're both moving fast but they're moving fast differently right now in house of the dragon it's moving fast but the episode the episodes themselves are cohesive yes when, when you're watching the episode, it's cohesive, and then the next episode will be six months later, or even two years later. Yeah. And so that might be a huge jump in time, but however, it's that's actually an important jump in time, because you're like, oh shit, two years have passed. The problem with moving fast in the later half of Game of Thrones was that in the same episode, they would a character <laughs> would be on one continent, and then be on the next continent in the same episode, yes. and it's like, well, how the fuck did that happen? So they're moving fast in different ways. House of the Dragon is moving fast in a realistic way, where the episode itself 
is cohesive, and then like the following episode might be a couple years later, and yeah. like that time in between those Every- years, obviously things didn't matter. Or yes. like they didn't need to be zoomed in on. So and every see. episode in House of the Dragon so far has taken place at a specific point in time, right? So they're picking pivotal moments because obviously things, small things, are happening. For example, the queen, Alice and Hightower, you know, she married the king, right? So there had to be a wedding ceremony where all the great houses came to uh, yeah, King's yeah, Landing yeah. and the Red Keep, and there was probably a party and celebration of them two being wed. However. What I noticed is that episode three basically is the same exact thing that would have happened at the wedding. All the houses coming together, them eating a bunch and gossiping a bunch. That's like the entire premise. So when they give you episode three, they actually found a way to give you the celebration of those two being together while also not having to bore us with just that part. Because like we've seen and doing it twice, right? Because you have to do if you're going to do it for the wedding, you also have to do it for like this heir, this this potential heir, the firstborn son. And so, like, instead of showing it to us twice, like, you can just do it once and yeah. you can kind of I really don't mind the pacing of the show at all. I actually like the way it's moving along because I feel like they're they're basically giving us the important moments is what's happening. I was like, worried at first when I finished episode three. I was a little worried. I was like, I just hope. And I even said as I said it out loud, I was like, it's not going to be this way. But I just hope that every episode is in a time skip. And I'm sure at some point that'll stop. Yeah, I think it's and after the time. So it's funny. I'm about to say this. I think it's after the time skip, the one where they get older, where yeah, Rhaenyra yeah. becomes a grown woman, like a not grown as in 14, which is what grown is in that world. But yeah. actually, when they change her actress out for a different woman, because right now, Millie, Millie Alcock, I think is her name, and she is doing a phenomenal job. Can I just say... I am in love with that actress in a from a acting standpoint. I think that she is phenomenal and just the I really way, like, like her facial expressions and like the way she handles situations with her face. It's it's art. Yeah. It's literally art. And and also you could tell that she's embodying a bit of Daenerys Targaryen and the way she is too. Like it's so cool to see the parallels between these two soon to be rulers or proclaimed to be rulers, self-proclaimed and also actually proclaimed. It's it's very, very cool to see an actress that I've never seen before do such an amazing job, which is one of the things that I really like about Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones had yeah. a lot of actors and actresses who, I'll just say actors, period. That just covers male and female. But Game of Thrones had a lot of actors who I'd never even heard of or never knew before it. And Same. I love them in the role. And I love that they weren't huge names prior. Like, imagine Samuel L. Jackson being Corliss Valerian, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would kind of take away from Corliss Valerian's character for if he was Samuel it, L. Jackson. This is obviously does, an extreme example. In a, in a weird way, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame, but certain actors supersede their roles. Like, yes. Denzel Washington, for example, is such a God-tier actor that sometimes, if you put him in a certain role, it might not fix. It might be like, well, that's Denzel Washington. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, or you will see him Denzel as the Washington. other character that he's played that he might have... For example, whoever played uh, Lena Headey, she plays Cersei. If she wasn't anything else, I'm always going to see her Cersei, I feel like. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. like, I can't... I mean, obviously, if she's a really good actor, then I'll probably be able to separate her from Cersei, but right she now was... in my head, Cersei is such a big role and she was such an amazing actress in that role that, like, it would be hard to not see her as that no matter what show or movie she's in following she's it actually, she's actually been in a lot of stuff i forgot so when i watched game of thrones because i don't follow actors that closely but yeah. when i watched game of thrones i really like cersei etc and then one day i was at a, a friend's house and they happened to be watching 300 
And then I was like, oh, oh shit, yeah, that's she I was is. Like, I was like, that's Cersei. Yes. So she's, <laughs> she's in. Yes, she's in that movie too, and I completely forgot. I, I was like, oh that. shit. That's yeah, no, that movie is a big. I mean, that's a cult classic at this point. Three hundred definitely is a uh, classic movie, but yeah, I really like that the actors, for the most part, in House of the Dragon are pretty not as well known as some of the big, big name. Mm-hmm. For, oh, so the reason why I'm even saying this, there was a headline that came out. It's a rumor, of course, but it was saying that uh, whatever the name of the woman who plays the Scarlet Witch, right? Oh, I, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen and Henry Cavill, who plays Superman and and the Witcher, they're saying that there's a rumor going around that they're going to be in season two of House of the Dragon, that there's that they may be signing on to season two of House of the Dragon. And I was surprised because a lot of the comments was like, oh, God, please. No, like we don't need big household name actors to be in House of the Dragon. Like, sure, if they're in it, it is what it is. We're going to watch anyway. But like the show doesn't need that draw to make it good by any means. And those actors won't make it any better if no offense to them but they just won't make it any better like yeah yeah they're acting like it'll be as it good is, as it is it'll man. be as good as it is no matter who they cast i don't have a problem with literally any of game of thrones casting when i really think about it like there's no character think about how okay joffrey completely unknown actor as far as i know prior to that role yeah i mean he was a child that motherfucker was literally the most hated human being on the planet for years. And that's because he played the hell out of that role. And I just love the fact that somebody was given that opportunity and it wasn't just given to like, I don't know, Justin Bieber or somebody to fucking be Joffrey Baratheon or like, I don't know, Justin Bieber's doppelganger, like Ellen, right? Like I'm glad that neither one of them were cast as Joffrey Baratheon because that has been awkward. Yeah. It'd be hard to not see it as like, oh, that's fucking Justin Bieber or that's Ellen. Yeah, it would be hard to separate like that, like Henry Cavill or I, I, I'll say Elizabeth Olsen. It'll be harder just with how big her role was in Scarlet Witch and in Marvel and how big she is after that. I'm I'm sure she did big things in other places, yeah, but sure. I don't know. But Marvel was definitely her biggest but role by far. It, it'll be hard like when you see her, she'll make certain facial expressions and they'll make you think of Scarlet Witch. Immediately. You know I mean? And that's the problem. The other funny thing is that wouldn't they just typecast it or made her into a red priestess? Like she's she's young hilarious. Melisandre. She's basically just young Melisandre. And <laughs> that would be so funny to me. That would be amazing. Because then it's like, well, yeah, they cast her in the show, but she's playing a literal witch. So, you know, that that would I wouldn't mind that because that would just be kind of funny at that point. That like, would be kind of funny. It would be it would be the show having some humor. And I'm glad I just said that word. Uh, that's another thing I want to talk about, but it will be the show having some humor at itself. So another thing that I've been seeing going around in forums and like Reddit and stuff like that is people who are complaining about House of the Dragon. There aren't many. Most people just love the show, right? And I, and I think that rightfully so. I think the show is doing more good than it's doing bad by a mile. I think the show is doing fantastic. So the people who I do see complain about it, one of the things that they complained about, and I thought about it, I didn't notice it, but it's it's kind of true. House of the Dragon is missing something that game of thrones had and it was just like the humor of game of thrones for example yeah. the first two episodes of game of thrones uh you have the king coming from king's landing to go down to winterfell and when he gets there the first thing he says out of his mouth is you've gotten fat and yeah, then yeah. and then ned looks at his stomach and looks up at him and they both start laughing yeah and there's a lot of funny stuff where Arya 
she fires an arrow in the bullseye when uh, I think Bran was trying to do it. He couldn't do it at all. And like she runs away because he gets mad at her. There's like this humor to it that obviously Tyrion is super funny from the very first scene you see him. He's getting head from a whore. And like he kisses her in the mouth right after she's done. And he, you know, th- he talks about all types, like how he wants to die. I want to die with a maiden on my cock. And like, it's just like a lot of funny when the, when those, um, those savages in the woods come out and he tells him like, look, I have gold, I have money. I want to live. And whoever, whoever wants to kill me, I'll pay double. Like <laughs> just the humor of game of Thrones is actually missing from house of the dragon. And somebody said like, well, a lot of the comments are saying this show is very serious and it doesn't have, that feeling of like people just some people are just living and everything isn't backstabbing politics, dreary teenage angst. And every conversation is you need to marry. And why is this happening? And oh, my wife is dying. I have to give her a C-section on the spot. Like everything isn't this really sad, deep moment. Some things are just funny and regular and not so pressing. Like I think Tyrion walking in to his niece and nephew having breakfast, like he comes in, Cersei's at the table with literally um, the two, the two kids. And he's like, you know how much I love my, my nieces and nephews. He kisses them both on the forehead. He holds himself up in the chair. He says, bring me a flag and a wine and like some bacon and blood sausage. Right. And that's just like them living. That's just how the Lannisters live. It's just a scene to show how they're living. It's not, it doesn't actually carry any real relevance to the story. And it could have been completely omitted. But that type of thing so far is missing from House of the Dragon, whereas everything we've seen in House of the Dragon is basically conflict, like every think, single part of it. I think so. A couple things. I think one of the reasons for that is the same as the pacing, in that right now we're getting the prologue and they're showing us the important bits of information to yep. get us to the part of the story they want to tell. So there's not, they might not really have time to spend on some of those things because yeah. they're trying to show us what they need to show us to get us up relevant to information. And then, secondly, although not nearly as much as Game of Thrones, I, I've gotten a couple chuckles, especially out of Rhaenyra. Like, sh- the way she's so, like, her attitude, like, when we talked about it, when we talked about episode one, but when she was, like, laying on the girl's lap, and she was like, I quite like it here. And, like, yeah. the way she was talking <laughs> and the shit she was saying, uh, and, like, her witty little comebacks, like, I got some chuckles out of that. Yes, I mean, it's I not... think that we definitely have laughed at the show, but do you, you know what I mean when I say... Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's not as direct as, like, the king and Ned's talking. Yeah. It's not as like Tyrion just literally living his life being, you know, the most hated Lannister or thought to be an imp, but he doesn't actually look like that. Like there were scenes of people talking like, Oh, I thought I heard he looks like he has one eye and that his face is completely misfigured and his forehead's really big. And just, he's just a regular person, but he's just a little person. Right. And so a lot of that type of mysticism and world building is missing but i think what they're doing is they're relying on a couple things they're relying on you having seen game of thrones so you already know what the world is right like the first scene is literally rhaenyra riding a dragon over king's landing and people not reacting to the dragon flying in the air and that's brilliant because that is predicated on you knowing how scared everyone was when they saw the dragon flying in that last episode of game of thrones so it's just really cool that if you've seen Game of Thrones, this show is obviously amplified and they expect you to just know how things are where they don't have to kind of focus so much on that. And I don't mind it. Like I personally, this isn't my complaint. Again, this is something that I've been reading and I said, holy shit, I didn't notice. I didn't even notice because I love the show so much. I'm a stan. Like I'm a fucking stan. So I didn't notice that it was missing the humor and things like that in Game of Thrones. Because when I watch Game of Thrones, part of the thing that makes it so funny one of my favorite things, and I hope that we get something like this, is the Hound and Arya. 
When the Hound and Arya are traveling together, that shit is so funny. There's that one part where she has a rock and he's sleeping and she stands over top of him like she's about to bash his face in and he opens one eye and he's like, go ahead, do it. But if you don't kill me, I'm going to break both your legs and drag you to your aunt. I was fucking crying. Like I was dying because it's, and then she looks at him and she, she throws the rock down and walks away like huffs and puffs. It's so good. So this is completely random. What I'm about to say, <laughs> hella off topic. Have you seen the memes and shit about Elmo and Rocco? No, you you talking about the rock just reminded me. I fucking meant to send you the clip, and I can't believe I forgot. There's been like shit going around, right? Where people are posting <laughs> these clips of Elmo, and it's like it's like episodes of Sesame Street, and there's like this one character named Zoe, and she has like an imaginary friend, and it's a rock. And the rock's name is Rocco. <laughs> and there's a part where, like, they're eating cookies and, like, Elmo's favorite cookie is oatmeal cookie. And then there's one cookie left. And he was like, Elmo wants it. And then Zoe goes, well, hold on, Elmo. Rocco said he wants the cookie. And then <laughs> Elmo goes, Rocco's a rock. How's he going to eat the cookie, Zoe? Tell me. How's he going to eat the cookie? Like, he just starts. He, and then she goes, but he wants it. He goes, he's a rock. <laughs> he's like losing his shit. <laughs> Elmo starts snapping and there's all these fucking clips of like this Zoe girl and like Rock like being like, Well Rocco wants to do it. And then Elmo goes, Rocco's a rock! He can't play jump rope. Like <laughs> just starts snapping. Why do I feel like I've seen something like this where Elmo loses his shit? There was that other Dude. video where Elmo was trying to pronounce words and he got the balsamic vinegar. <laughs> he was like, balsamic vinegar? And he's like, that's a hard one for Elmo. Al was crying because whoever said it clearly had a New York accent and they said balsamic vinegar and like the, the they say it like balsamic vinegar. They say balsamic vinegar. You got to find it. Just type in Elmo balsamic vinegar on fucking YouTube. The way he says he's like, that's a hard one for Elmo. Like I was I just lost it. There was one where like she shows up and she goes, hi, everybody. And they're like, hi, Zoe. And then she goes, Rocco says hi, too. And then Elmo's sitting on the steps. He goes, Elmo didn't hear anything. <laughs> He's being an <laughs> asshole. Now, Elmo's just being a full-on <laughs> asshole at this point. Because you know what is given. Okay, that's her imaginary friend. And now you're just being a dick. Oh, man. Dude, it's awesome. Like, yeah. it is fucking awesome. I meant to send you some of the clips because I just know you would fucking laugh at Because... He's just snapping. Anyway, when you speaking, mentioned The Rock, I yes. thought of it. So Speaking of being a dick, how much of a dick was Allison in that scene where Rhaenyra had her Spotify playlist on repeat? And here comes fucking Allison just taking the aux cord out and being like, I want to talk to you. Like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. You're my stepmom. And not only that, but you were my best friend. And now you're commanding me and turning my music off. Like, you know how, well, I can't say you know how it is, but if you ever had a step parent, now, this has never happened to me because I told both my parents and they know I don't have a step anything. I don't have a step sibling, a step mom, a step dad. Both my parents are remarried to different people. And those people are those people. I don't have a step shit. So I will <laughs> never know what it's like to have a step parent try to tell. Cause by the time my parents married, I was already an adult. So like all of yeah. that, uh, having a step parent try to like chastise me or talk to me in any kind of way. That's we're far past that. Like I was a grown ass. Yeah, you're man. already an adult. So they're just other people to you. Yes. My dad got married when I was 20 to some woman. So like, as far as I'm concerned, there's just no world where anyone is going to come in my room and turn off my music. But here comes fucking Allison Hightower. Like this man is singing under the dragon's eye. And she just, she's like, again, from the top, 
I didn't tell you to stop or whatever. And he's just like, uh, but the queen. And she's like, the princess commands you to start from the top. And then Alice is like, the queen is telling you to leave the godswood right now. And then he's like, well, fuck. The queen said it. The queen does trump the princess. So he takes his black ass. He walks out. Man, that queen is just some random hoe. Yeah. She- I was really annoyed by that, though, because... I was so I'm still waiting for this. This is something I'm so interested in. Alicent is probably more fucking cunning than they're showing us. She's probably way more deceptive and manipulative than we know, but they are showing her in such a fucking positive light a lot of the time, but they let certain parts seep out. I think that that scene was one of the few scenes we got where it was kind of like, ah, she's she's aware of who she is because she used her power in that scene. It is so crazy how just old politics can go where you have this woman who is the daughter of a Targaryen, is a Targaryen, was the princess, and was named heir, and is still the heir. The next actual fucking leader of the entire world, basically. And then, like, just because some random lady marries the king, like, she has more power. Like, that's, that is fucking crazy. It's an interesting dynamic to watch play out, and I love the tension. That The tension in that scene, because Rhaenyra never looks at Alicent in that scene. She never gives her eye contact. She just keeps looking at her book and like writing whatever she's writing. And she's like, I do not wish to go. That does not have anything to do with me. Everyone here is not here for me. And then she goes back to it. She's like, Rhaenyra, it doesn't have to be like this. And nothing has to be like this. She's trying to plead with her. And so part of me is like, okay, she's being a bitch in the sense that she just turned her music off. But then she's also saying, like, it doesn't have to be like this between us. We could work this out. We could be a one big family. And what I was really surprised about is the scenes they showed in episode three where Alicent was actually backing Rhaenyra's claim and backing Rhaenyra in general. She was genuinely in her corner because there's no reason for the writers to show us scenes of Alicent defending Rhaenyra or standing up for her. She doesn't have to do that in in private. For example, when she was was talking to her father, he was like, you know, you need to make sure that your son becomes the king of the Iron Throne. Like, he's the rightful heir. It's his birthright. And the only person who will be robbed is Aegon. And she's like, I'm not going to raise my son to rob his sister out of something that's already been promised to her, right? And so she's, there's no reason for the writers to show us a scene like that unless Alicent actually feels that way. Because yeah. she could just be herself with her dad. Like her dad is being himself. He does he would never say the things that he says to her to anyone else. Yes. Yeah. He wouldn't say he wouldn't say it that way to the king. Yes. As as callous as he says things to his daughter, he would not speak so candidly with anyone else. Like I don't even think he would speak that way to any other family to any other family that's not a high tower. So I think he would only do that to his older brother, right? The one who's the leader of Old Town. That, like that guy in the beginning of the episode was like, oh, it's a glorious day. We have much more news to celebrate than just his birthday. And he was like, pray tell. What are you talking about? He was like, oh, well, the heir has certainly been born. And like, he's coming of age. You know, he's two years old. And he's like, well, the king and uh, Otto says the king doesn't see it that way, which tells me that Otto has already kind of tried to persuade the king to name Aegon. And he's also given up on it. Like the way he said it, it was like, yes, but the king does not see it that way. It's kind of like. He's already accepted this is what it is. And then his older brother was like, well, you need to make him see it that way. And he yeah. puts his hand on him like, you need to do your job. Like, your job is to make sure that our family line ends up on the throne. And I love that that's just an example of how that guy, whoever that guy is, I don't know his name, but the other Hightower, he would not talk like that to anyone else. Like, if it was another family, like the Red Wines, for example, they were in the episode, or the Lannisters, he would not say that 
to any other family. He could say that to Otto and he could say that to Allison and they could talk like that to each other. So I say all this to say, when you see Allison defending Rhaenyra and saying, yes, but she has to feel like it's her choice, my Lord, or like, you know, you did make the right choice when you named her. Cause he said, I, what if I, what if I did the wrong thing? And he starts to almost cry about it. And she's like, no, you did the right thing. Like you made it right. Yeah. She would, there's no need to say that. Like there's no need. She could just jump in and be like, if you were wrong, you can correct it. You have the power to correct it. She could have said that. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. them showing her fighting for Rhaenyra is very interesting to me because I have it in my head that that little bitch is Cersei number two. And I've been <laughs> waiting. I've been waiting to see Cersei number two come out and it just hasn't happened yet. So I'm wondering, like, I misjudged her so far. Like so far, she's actually maybe something is going to happen. But yeah, right, something could happen that changes her right now, though. She genuinely wants a relationship with her best friend. And Rhaenyra obviously wants nothing to do with her. And I feel Rhaenyra. I'm on Rhaenyra's side in that sense because you hid this from me. And then y'all both fucking y'all been fucking behind my back and you're my best friend. Like that's some bullshit. Like I would be mad if any of my friends, imagine some, one of your friends getting with your mom, bro. And trying to be, and trying to be like your stepdad. I mean, in in the real world, I'm throwing, I'm moving some furniture. Okay. There's absolutely no planet. Where that just like happens. Like your friend for years is is with your mom. Like they are together. There's no bull. Like they are fucking. She's pregnant by him. Like that would just. There's no world where that would be okay. Nah, and as someone, they're both, they're both going to get hit with a couch. It, it would be it would be real bad. And honestly, I think you and I can relate to the anger that we would have because you and I both have moms that are not ugly. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it like that. Kenny's mom is not ugly. And every and people have seen pictures of my mom. My mom is also not ugly. She's a beautiful black woman. Kenny's mom is a beautiful Italian woman. They have been aging very well for like how old they are. They don't look their age. And I was a kid who I won't say I was teased, but I definitely had dealt that with that. Yeah. People people all the time will be like, yo, dude, your mom's fucking hot. <laughs> definitely like got some, a lot some of random that. guy be like, dude, man, like you're I'll never forget. This was the weirdest <laughs> shit ever. I was in, I think, seventh grade. And, um, I do have a stepmom. My dad remarried when I was like pretty young. And like, I grew up with her as my stepmom and like, you know, I, I respect her as that and everything. Yeah. So I remember, I think it was, eight, no, Kenny was, it was Kenny was fucking young. I was not. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember I was in eighth grade and uh, I think it was my eighth grade graduation or whatever. And so both my moms and my dad came to it. Um, my mom, my stepmom and my dad, they all go. So anyway, a bunch of my friends see my mom and my stepmom for the first time. And I, this was the weirdest shit ever. I'll never forget somebody coming to me and go, yo, dude, you're so lucky. Your mom and your stepmom are hot. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, like, like I'm their son. Like there's nothing said, attractive about either of them yeah. because I'm their fucking son. Like when he said you're so lucky, it was the weirdest. I was like, "Do you hear what you're saying?" Like I was so annoyed yeah, at him. People are dumb. Like, that kids is the especially. dumbest shit I've ever heard. Now, granted, he could have been watching a lot of step son porn and stuff like that, which is really big nowadays. Probably yeah. not as Dude, big as it is. Maybe, maybe we don't even know. He might have been reading a Song of Ice and Fire. That book was out true, already. True, he might have been ahead of the curve. He, he might have been, been on some that Targaryen shit. So yes, I have been embarrassed by the fact that my mom is just not an ugly woman. Like a lot of people's, a lot of my homeboys, and this is, this is no shade, but like all shade. A lot of my homeboys have ugly ass moms. Like their moms 
are just hit. Like, and, y- and y'all know it. Like, y- your mom is fat, but she cook, she cook her ass off. Like, she makes the best potato salad, candy yams, turkey on Thanksgiving. Like, she throws down, but she's ugly as sin. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I used to, this is so bad, but I- I'm going to say it because I'm being very vulnerable here, I guess. I used to pray that my mom would somehow be ugly. Like, I, w- I used to say, I'm so fucking sick that my mom isn't one of those ugly ass moms that can cook real well. Cause the other thing is that my mom, when I was younger, she's not a cooking mom either. Like she was, she was aware that she was good looking. So she just never did any of the ugly mom responsibilities. Like she didn't cook. She didn't clean. (laughs) She just like paid people to do that. (laughs) My mom, my mom, my mom. (laughs) It's so fucking true that and this doesn't just go for women this goes for men as well if you're a certain level of attractive you don't know how to you don't need to know how to live life you can just like get the fuck by you you don't have to know how to do anything if you're attractive my mom just didn't know how to cook or clean so she would just pay people to do those things for us like i it's so my my childhood is so interesting because it's so different from like literally all of our friends besides you because you're the only other person i know who i looked at their mom i was like holy shit like his mom is also not ugly. So I don't know. It's just a weird thing. And I definitely went through a lot of that in school when my mom would pick me up sometimes, or like if she came to any kind of parent and child gathering, it would be, I was like, Oh God, like all my friends are just going to, cause all, all my classmates, moms were ugly too. Like for like 90% of my class had ugly ass moms. And then here I was with this fucking mom who just shows up, has a like, you know, makeup on, like beautiful hair, just like wearing wearing modern clothes, not a fucking sundress or like some house some house gown, you know, like the fucking nasty ass house gown with stains on it that like some people's mom, she doesn't have a scarf around her head, she doesn't have crust in her eyes, like my mom is like so well put together every day she also literally just does not wear sneakers, like my mom only wears heels Mm. so like it's just, it was just annoying it was just very, very fucking annoying, like granted I don't mean literally never wear sneakers, but like when she would go to anything that required yeah, yeah. people to see her, she's always going to be dressed. That's just how she is. And that's how, if people have noticed, that's how I am as well. I'm like a very dressy person in general. And it's because of my fucking mom. Like I'm just used to being like that. And you know, I see her in sneakers. So like she goes to the gym, she goes on runs like that. She's in obviously sneakers and stuff with that. But like, how she has to go to anything. It's like, no, no, no. She goes on, she runs three times a week in heels. On like, some Beyonce <laughs> shit. That's some Beyonce <laughs> shit. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard, man. Having having a step parent, I imagine, because I don't really know, but having a step parent who's trying to actually chastise you and has power over you in that way, like no turn off the music, that shit. Yeah, ex- would drive especially considering off. they're also the same age. They're like yeah, yes. that's the other thing. Like they're the same age. Like imagine somebody the same age as you be like having actual power over you. It's like fuck off. Yes. Especially if they were just your friend. Prior to that. Yeah, because that's even more extreme. It's one thing to have a stepmom or dad. Like, I have step parents technically, right? Even though I don't really acknowledge them as such, because I'm just, I'm just so, I feel like I'm just so past that. Like, there's no, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. They didn't raise you. They weren't part of your life. They were not part of that at all. So they're just like, they're they're less your step parent. Like, in that instance, like, they're they're almost not even your step parent because they were never your parent. I think the point of, like, a step parent. They have that moniker not just because they married your mom or your dad. It's also because they they were functionally a parent at a part in your life where you needed a parent. Otherwise, if your mom gets remarried when you're 23, 
that's just your mom's husband. Like, that's that's how I not feel. your stepdad. That's literally how I feel. My mom got married this year. You know, her nothing's wrong with her husband, as far as I can tell. Like he's a fine guy. Like he's okay. Um, yeah, but you're not gonna call him dad. I'm yeah. never gonna call him dad ever. I think that would be fucking weird, all things considered, especially in considering like what I'm into. And then also like I'm not calling my dad's wife mom. That's just never ha- these things are just never happening. Yep. Uh, but it is what it, so Rhaenyra's in like this really awkward situation that I just couldn't imagine being in, but I just tried to give an example, like imagine your friend marries your mom, like there'd be no fucking world. So I do like that scene, but also seems to be not as bad as I thought she was going to be, but I'm waiting to see if there's going to be a reveal or something or some a part. turning point. Yeah. Because the other thing I want to say, they seem to be blatantly not allowing her to say the things on screen that I want to hear her say. And I, I say that because episode three, she came into the King's room or I guess their bedroom. And she says, I want to talk to you about something. And he cuts her off and says, Rhaenyra, ugh. And that's not necessarily what she wanted to talk about because the scene right before that was her father saying, you have to make him see it that way. Yeah. It actually overlapped. Like I was actually confused because you still hear Otto speaking and then you see the doors of the king's chambers open and and allison is walking in but otto is still speaking so i was like what is happening and then i realized okay this is just an overlay of the audio from that conversation going into this scene and then he cuts her off and starts talking about rhaenyra he spends the entire time talking about rhaenyra and his brother and not actually letting i wanted to hear if allison was going to do what her dad said because i'm trying to understand how much of a pawn she really is to her father yeah. And now we know her father is a pawn to the uh, the elder Hightower. Like it's it's a shame too cuz like and ep- Otto it's we- like on on one and I want to say that like I like Otto but I don't. Like me either. F- from episode 1, I I did kind of like him, but even in that episode there was some shady shit and then as it's going on like he's just he's just hella shady and he's not a character that like I really like. Like he doesn't I- seem loyal like i don't like the fact that he doesn't seem loyal he just seems like like everybody else that he's just really out for his own and yes but he's he's more he's more slick about it so corliss valerian is a good example of a character who's blunt corliss says i respect that me too i respect that you know exactly who corliss is corliss in the small council meetings and to the king's face has said things that otto has been basically slowly manipulating the king to feel that way without saying it. So, for yeah. example, Corliss said, I want you to marry my daughter. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want the exact same thing, but Otto's going about it in a different way. Yeah. But it, he wants 100%. the same exact outcome. So Corliss is just a blunt version of Otto, and that's why I don't like Otto. And I think that we're not supposed to like him. Like, I think yeah. we are supposed to hate him because his daughter is tearing herself up. Her fingernails look so disgusting. And he's like, yeah. you're the most comely girl at court. Why do you destroy yourself like this? And he's holding onto her hands. I still didn't get over the scene in episode one where he was caressing her face and saying, I was thinking about your mother. And then she moves his hand and then she changes the subject. Very uncomfortable stuff there. And then also the way he smirked at Corliss when the king said, I'm going to marry Allison Hightower. The look he fucking gave Corliss. Yep. Was he's an asshole. But it's what's interesting is that different people like different things because I've been hearing recently I've been hearing of quite a few people saying like I don't know why anybody likes Damon and going further I don't know why anybody likes any Targaryen like I've been hearing people saying like 
just talking shit on the Targaryens and like talking shit on Damon specifically. Like, why do everybody like this character and then listen to all these things bad about him? I'm like, Damon is the shit. Damon like, is so. Damon is. Damon and Rhaenyra are carrying the show. Period. Yeah. He, also, Damon is a. It's. I think he's a much more complicated character than his detractors are giving him credit for. Yes, and they think that he's just. They have him very cut and dry. They think he's Megor the Cruel. They think that he should never have power. They think that he is just like vile and would be terrible if he was in any position that commanded a high standing. So they try to keep him in these positions that have low standing. And uh, I think that he he has his uses and he's also a good judge of character. I think above all, Damon is probably because he's real, right? Like, I I hate using that word like this, like that, like as an adjective, like, oh, you're so real. Because yeah, that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't really mean it's... anything. But at the same time. In this context, you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, Damon, Damon hangs around the low, like like not low life, but the low people, the people who are lowborn. Yeah, like he in, hangs in around the context the of the show, like the lowborn people. Yeah. Whereas, like, you don't really see any of these, any of the other Targaryens hanging Hell around no. the lowborns. The the king. He's, we haven't seen the king talk to someone who is not a big house. You haven't seen. Otto engage with anyone who's not from a big house, they probably are disgusted. Like, period. They're probably disgusted by people who are lowborn, whereas Damon likes that energy. He's in whorehouses with his men. He's like, you were all fucking just nothing when I found you. Hounds, little dirty dogs. And now I've raised you into like, you know, he he likes being around niggas. Like, that's, that's kind of how I feel about Damon. Like, he just loves <laughs> being around people who didn't have exactly the easiest upbringing. He vibes with that energy. Like, honestly, I kind of, like, <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it. This is, already it'll, it'll get too raw, but I, Damon likes being around people who have not had a silver spoon in their mouth. He mm -hmm. enjoys that energy, and I think it has made him, like, real like i just think i'm yeah, yeah. a great judge of character he's down to earth he's very down to earth and yeah he's like fuck that y'all married me off to this ugly ass woman oh. and i don't i don't want her yeah well i, I want to clarify he's down to earth in quotes like he is down yeah, to yeah, earth yeah, but yeah, he, yeah. he also is still a targaryen you know. through and through don't get it twisted <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, don't mistake what we're saying that damon is like some like he's not a he okay in episode three it starts off with him squashing like he fucking steps on some random guy. He, saw him. he didn't see him. But my point yeah. is that, that just, but I think they wanted to show us that because yeah. it shows you just how much he doesn't care. He wasn't there to save anyone. Yeah, yeah. He, Damon's, he was Damon's, there to fight the crab feeder. Damon's there for glory. Damon was not there to, to uh, save any like lowborn people, to save any free folk or anything like that. Damon was there for his own ambitions. And. We should never forget that. But at the same time, I do think that he's out of all the Targaryens, he's the only one that would be hanging out with lowborn people and they won't just slit his fucking throat and rob him yeah. and rob him because he's, you know, a Targaryen. Like they 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 fuck with him. Like he comes to the hood and, and they're like, yo, Damon, what's up, dog? Like, how you doing? Like, Damon's that guy. He's the he's the one cop that like people don't hate. Like he's the cop yeah, that's he's yeah. a cool cop. Like he can hang out with like the people who are, you know, maybe not doing the best thing, but like he, I, I'm not watching you. You're not blatantly selling drugs in front of my face. So it is what it is. Like you're, you're yeah. cool with me right now. So yeah, the show is doing a really good job, but I do know what you mean when you say that some people don't like any of the Targaryens. Now I hate the King. 
I don't like the king. King Viserys is actually super ineffective. He's, I see it now in episode one, Damon called him weak to his face. And I, in episode three, I really, really, really see it. They've been showing it every episode, but episode three, man, like him not wanting when the Lannister guy, I think his name is Tyland Lannister. So there was Jason Lannister and there was Tyland. And Tyland was the one that was like annoying him in the beginning. Like, hey, yeah, the, step, yeah. the Stepstones is getting really bad. It's going to be really bad for us if they like don't, if they lose this war, it's actually going to make us look bad because technically Corliss and your brother are still tied to you regardless. So even though yeah. you're saying like, oh, the crown's not in it, the crown's not in it, the Lady Redwine was like, well, you, we are in it because your uncle dragged us into it anyway. Like, that's true. And the king is doing this thing where he's kind of like an out of sight, out of mind guy. And he keeps yeah. on bringing up that Jaharis, the prior king to him, who had 50 years of peace, he keeps saying that, you know, Jaharis was a peace king and I'm trying to uphold the peace. But this is not the way to do it. Yeah. And he can't see that, nor can he see the slithering people that are working in his realm to like conspire against him. He can't see that either. And he did have that one moment where he got really mad at Jason Lannister for saying, I just thought that Rhaenyra would love to be at Casterly Rock because she's going to lose her station. He was like, what are you talking about? Lose her station. Yeah, he snapped on him. But he was also drunk. So, like, you know, drunk people speak a sober mind, right? Like, when you're drunk, you say things that you normally wouldn't say when you're sober. So, I don't, I feel like he's a bitch. And the only reason he even said that to him is because he was drunk. Like, if he wasn't drunk, I think that he would have just did that little awkward smile that he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I just don't, I just don't respect his character now. And now he's becoming... Was it me or was it, was that episode like a mini tribute to Robert Baratheon? Like, did you see Robert Baratheon and the King that episode? Yeah, I mean, it did feel similar. It was interesting because they, especially when they showed like the stag and they were talking about the stag, the the white heart stag being the king of the woods. And we know that that Robert Baratheon's house is the stag. Yep. And it's an interesting bit of poetry in that like the stag was the king of those woods and was, they said like the stag was sort of a symbol of, like, royalty or, or kings before the dragons. Yes. And it's interesting that the stag is the one that overthrows the dragon, how, like, 200 years later. I think it is and poetic. That, and Baratheon becomes the king again. So that's a... It was really interesting. And that scene with them going hunting and hunting the stag was interesting. And it was, it was cool because you see, like, they're going hunting. And they, they end up finding this other stag that's not the White Heart. Yeah, they thought they were going to find and, a White Heart. And that was the whole thing is that, you know, Otto was like, I oh, know on this day of all days, your, your grace. Like, yeah. Basically trying to allude to it's all because of Aegon. And then it's just like, it's almost like sad in a way. Cause like their idea of hunting is 300 people chasing yes. one animal and then they tie the animal up and they're like, all right, here, kill him. Like, yeah, that was him. such bullshit to me. I, <laughs> I didn't realize that that was their, their idea of hunting because they don't really show you the hunting in season one when Robert Baratheon is doing it, we don't even get to see the boar actually fuck him up. Yeah. He just returns from his trip and he's dead. He's dying. So we don't get to see how it's done where they hold the animal in four different directions. And like one person's like right here, my Lord. Like (laughs) it's just so ridiculous. (laughs) How 18 fucking humans gang up on this one animal and they're like, yeah, the droppings were two hours old. So like it can't be that far away and all this other shit. I'm like, Oh my God, it's not really hunting. I mean, yes, it is hunting, but it's also hunting. Like they hunted it, but then like when it came down to the glory of the hunt, you know what I mean? Like, Like the kill. 
the when it came down nothing. to the kill, it was just they had that motherfucker tied up and shit. Like it was weak. <laughs> the stag's all looking at him out the side of its eye, like, go ahead, bitch. Do it. Do it. Yeah, man. That shit Do it like weak. you did my mom. And then with so that's the other thing that's really cool is it's not lost on me that they've kind of did that on purpose. They showed what it took, the amount of people it took for the king to get this kill on the stag. And then you see Renera, she just like murders a boar. Yeah. Um, not necessarily single-handedly because she had help, but it's just like the two of them. And then they, you know, yeah, they, like they had to fight board. a wild animal while it was wild. Yeah. And, and she also runs into the real Whiteheart because I didn't. So I saw the episode twice. I've only seen it twice. Episode three. I'm going to watch it again, but I didn't notice the first time I watched it. I actually did not notice that the stag that they ended up finding and killing was not the white heart that they wanted. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a random one. It was a random one, a regular one. So when King Viserys first steps off outside of his uh, carriage, he's relieved that it's actually not the one that they were looking for because he didn't want any more of this this symbolism mumbo-jumbo, oh, it's a sign of Aegon's day and all. He was actually relieved, and it kind of reassured him because it was the next day after he had that drunk night he was staring into the fire. He was relieved that when he said, what if I made the wrong choice? And then he finds this regular-ass stag in the woods that he's like, okay, this isn't as bad that it's not the one, you know, it's not the one I wanted or not the one everyone else wanted, I should say. Yeah. I didn't notice that the first time. I thought, I was like, oh, is that a, I don't know what a white, I'm gonna be honest. I don't, I didn't know what a white heart looked like. I didn't know there was actually an albino fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea that it was actually albino. So when I saw Rhaenyra run into the real version of it, I was like, oh, it's really white. Like it's actually an albino sag. Yeah. I thought, I mean, maybe this would have been too on the news. I thought the white heart was going to look like a normal stag, but then it might have had like a white heart pattern on its chest yeah, or something. I didn't know what I was looking for either, Kenny. So I'm glad that I'm not the only one who just like, when I was watching it, I didn't know what I was like. Okay, I know a white heart is a stag, but like, you know, a a great white isn't a fucking white uh, whale, right? Like it's not a white whale, yeah, yeah. White, like a great white shark, or whatever it is. Like it's not, it's not actually a all white creature so when you hear great white like don't go looking for something that's actually all white and that's kind of how i think of it when i think of animals in general like everything that just has a color in its name is not literally that color completely through yeah, and yeah, all. Yeah. so i was just i don't know i i didn't know that they didn't actually kill the right one but when i watched it the second time knowing that rhaenyra runs into the actual white heart i was like yeah. okay so this one just isn't it and then I saw the king's face, and I was like, "Oh, he's relieved that it isn't it." So it, it yep. this is it's crazy how soon rewatching the show is already making it better when you know what's yeah, coming. Yeah. Like yeah. already, I'm watching it again, and I'm liking it. But that's something I'm like I haven't rewatched any any episodes yet. I meant to, but I just didn't get around to it. But that's something I've thought about being excited for. Like I can't wait till I can't wait till I'm you know a week or two weeks before season two coming out. And so I rewatched season one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause there's a lot of lines right now that I'm, I am waiting to see how they turn out. For example, Rhaenyra and uh, Sir Kristen were talking and he's like, you know, I had an adventurous childhood, which basically said I hoard around. Like I got around. <laughs> I, I got hoes. My man said I got hoes, but I've never had a formal betrothal betrothal or whatever it's called. Like I've never been actually formally wed to anyone. Um, but I did get around he is like, but uh, what's he say? He said something interesting. He said, because she's, I, she said, I feel toothless. And he said, there was a day when you chose me a couple years ago to be your knight, right? Your protector. 
And my name will now go in that book. It's the book that Jamie actually got written in by uh, Brienne at the end of Game of Thrones. Really cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that because at first he got te- Jamie got teased about that book by Joffrey. He's like, "Look at your name. There's nothing under it." And he's like, "Sir Barristan, sell me." And he reads all the shit about Sir Barristan. He's like, "Sir, sir, you know whatever this guy and this guy." And he and he gets to Jamie and it's like nothing, right? And so Brienne ends up filling it in. At, that's like one of the last scenes of Game of Thrones. I actually really like Game of Thrones. It ended terribly, but there were some really cool things about. There were, there were still even in season eight. There were moments that were like there were moments really fucking good, and it's like this is what I want. But yes, you know. Anyway. So Sir Kristen was talking about how now my name will be written in that book, and I was like, oh shit, that book existed already yep. this far back, which is really cool to me. A little callback to Game of Thrones, but also he says I owe you everything I have. I owe you. And I was like, damn, those are heavy words. Cause he's basically saying like, I'm going to be loyal to you forever. And I, I like that. Like, I like that. As soon as she left, he's like princess. And he hopped on his horse. My man was at it. Princess slow down. Also cinematography. Now this might not mean I'm about to get real artsy here. This might not mean anything to people who watch the show. Cause they're just not into this type of thing. But I fucking love, I know the CG is like whatever right now, and they'll retouch the CG later on. That's the thing that they actually do do. They'll retouch CG. Right now, the CG is whatever. I don't care about the CG. It's fine. For me, it's fine. I get people complaining about the CG or whatever, whatever. But the cinematography, when they were in the forest on horseback and she was running away, basically, and he was chasing her, I stared at that scene the first time and the second time I watched it. And I was like, how the fuck did they record this scene? Because, dog. <laughs> There's a part where the two horses basically crash into each other when they get to the lake and they lift up. Yeah. And you see Kristen and Rhaenyra. Now, it might be doubles, right? It could obviously be... Uh, I'm, I'm actually certain that it's, like, not them literally doing those scenes. Like, not even the horseback part. It's probably just their faces, you know, thrown on top of two other people who are doing, like, stunt doubles. But even still, the part where the horses kind of crash into each other, then they lift up and they whinny. I was... I was looking at that like, how the... Like that's not CG. This is this. Those are real horses, yeah, really yeah. riding along. And if they're not, then technology has gotten really good, which I'm impressed by. But that scene to me, the cinematography for that was so brilliant, and I just enjoyed it a lot. Like I was watching, like holy shit, man, he's chasing her fast as shit. And then he tried to grab her while she was riding as fast as she was, and I kept thinking to myself, this looks so dangerous. And I thought about Christopher <laughs> Reeves immediately, like. First thing I thought about was Christopher Reeves. If you don't know who that is, he's like one of the original Supermans and he is a paraplegic. Oh, he died, I think now. But he, Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's yeah. I think he's been dead for a while, but yeah. He was a paraplegic, which means that he lost control of all of his limbs and he was confined to a wheelchair and everything uh, at the end of his life. So like I thought of that I terrible think it happened. Didn't it? Didn't it happen because he fell off a horse? It did. That's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah, yeah. I thought as soon as I saw the way they were, because they were riding so fast, they were going fast as shit. And I don't think that that was fake. Yeah, they were going really fast. And then the way they they stopped so abruptly and the horses lifted up next, like the horses kind of literally crashed and then they lifted (laughs) up and they stopped right at the tip of the water. And that whole thing made me look at it like, holy shit, how did they film this? Yeah, it's it's tricky that they probably had to do some reshoots. I know it's tricky. They I remember hearing George double R talk about uh recording some horse scenes in the original game of thrones and him saying there was like a scene where the fire pit they wanted like the horse to run out i think it was like daenerys's horse or something and like and jump over the fire and they thought it'd be like this really cool scene and then like the horse wouldn't do it the horse is like that's fucking fire and so like they couldn't get the horse to jump over the fire but then so they were like all right 
put the fire out. We'll have the horse jump over it. And then we'll just like CG the fire. Yeah, in. makes perfect sense to me. And then the horse still like the it horse. They just it was like the horse was like there's there was fire there, and the <laughs> horse just like did not jump. Like the, they could not get the horse to go to that spot uh, where fire used to be. Yeah, like they just couldn't get the horse to do it. So that's amazing. The horse was like there was fire there. <laughs> you won't get me. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, so House, I mean, honestly, House of the Dragon has been amazing so far. And I mean, some people don't like Damon. Some people don't like Renera. They find her to be bratty. But I just want you to know, because I guess the people saying that have never raised a teenager or never been a teenager or never been around a teenager. If you don't know that a fucking 16, 17 year old girl, or honestly, not even a girl, a 16, 17 yeah, year old in general, general can be very rebellious. I was so fucking bratty and rebellious as a 16, 17 year old spoiled kid who went to private school. Like, I don't even think that I needed to be spoiled or go to private school to be bratty and obnoxious. I just was. Yeah, I think most, that's a, most kids are. Yes. And so when people are complaining about Rhaenyra, like how come everything, and I think even the king said this, everything with you doesn't need to be a fight. But like... Yeah, he even said, he said, if I forbade her to marry a, a, a Lannister, she would have she ran off and married one. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because that is kind of how kids work though. You have to almost trick them. Like yeah. kids, kids kind of are so rebellious that they don't want to do anything that the parent tells them to do just because you told me to do it. Like, I don't yep. want to do it because you said it. And I was, I had that same rebellious spirit as a teenager. So I relate to that because I was a teenager once. I'm not that way anymore. Like somebody tells me to do something. And if, if I feel like it's something that I should be doing, cause I'm a fucking adult and I'm not a child, then I'll just do it. But like, I totally understand where she's coming from being a bratty rich kid. Who's pretty much probably always gotten her way to a degree. And now She's being usurped by this little boy. And that's how she felt the whole episode. She was like, obviously, he's going to be the new heir. You got what you wanted. You got your fucking son. And he's yeah. going to supplant me. And, and, I, and I do really appreciate, though, that Viserys at one point in the episode was like, I did waver. I thought about it. But mm -hmm. on your mother's... That was a great scene when they were, like, sitting there talking. I loved it. I really, really liked that. Was, you know, I don't like him as a character, but stuff like that, made me appreciate him like for being because he's a softie that's the that's his issue he's yeah. so fucking soft that it's bad but in some ways obviously that softness can be something that you like i like the warmth of that when he said yeah. i swear on your mother's memory that i will never supplant you so mm -hmm. i'm expecting now and you know how game of thrones is though but i'm expecting that he will not at any point name a new heir over Rhaenyra. Now, obviously, the High Towers are working on him, and for all I know, in the very next episode, he's going to make an announcement that Aegon is the new heir, and it's going to fuck everything up. But, I'm hoping that he's a man of his word, at the very least, because if he's not a man of his word, then I'm going to come back to this podcast and rage. <laughs> I already don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'm very interested to see where it goes. So, every Sunday, man, I'm on it. Yeah. How'd you like Sea Smoke? That's the name of Lainor's dragon. That fucking... Like, I thought it was... So at first I was, it took me a second to realize. Um, so at first I thought that it was another Targaryen. I knew it obviously was a Targaryen, but I thought it was another Targaryen riding a Daemon's dragon okay. at first. At I first. was like, because I was just I'm waiting to see, yeah, and I'm waiting to see Daemon's dragon. And so I'm like, oh, he and got even, like somebody else to ride his, like basically ride his dragon to him. Even a crab then, was like, where the fuck is it? Yeah, he kept looking. So, you know, I was waiting, and then I and then I was like looking, and then I realized I was like, I was like, oh no, like that's a completely different dragon. Like, 
you know, yeah. Damon's dragon's very recognizable. So and once I, I actually surprised. got to see the dragon, I was like, oh, okay. And I was surprised that it was. So it's one thing for it to not be Damon's dragon, or, and Damon's not, obviously, he's not on it. I was surprised that Lenor is a dragon rider. Mm. Like that, that came out of nowhere to me. I was like, holy shit. Like the black kids are going to be dragon riders. Like him, his sister, like they ride dragons. Cause Corliss mm-hmm. is not a dragon rider. You know, he's a, he's just a Valerian. He's not, a tar- but the kids have a uh, Targaryen blood, right? The mom is yeah. Rhaenys Targaryen, Prince Rhaenys. And so she is a Targaryen, which means that, you know, she might have a dragon, but her kids do, in fact, have dragons. And they know how to ride them and use them. And granted, Sea Smoke looked pretty small compared to like some of like Caraxes, right? Like Damon's Dragon is fucking huge. It's been around for a long ass time, it looks like. And Drogon was even big. I would say Drogon's even bigger than uh Sea Smoke. But Sea Smoke got the job done. Like Sea Smoke got the job done. He he, he fired got up the, the job archers. done. That shit was awesome. The end that ending, that whole ending sequence was awesome. Yo, Damon's run, Damon is fast as shit. <laughs> I said Damon is like you could tell he's been hanging around some black people because the way that boy was running, he was fucking out. You could tell Damon's been around out. niggas for the last couple years. Like they, they said Damon's been around niggas for three years. And he runs so fucking fast. I was like, holy shit. The arrow still no chance. Booking it. Yeah, yeah, that's that shit was awesome. That scene was awesome. Everything about it was great. It was a great uh like war scene, battle yeah, scene. Yeah. Um, Cinematic. It was really good. It was good. It was really, really good. I like the crab feeder has no dialogue. He just kind of nods his head one way or the other. That's how he controls his men, and I'm sure he does speak. But like, we never needed to hear him speak. And Damon, cool thing that I didn't even notice until somebody pointed out, Damon didn't say a single thing at the end of that episode. From the time he landed from his dragon to meet with to like treat with the uh, the Valerians and his forces from the time he walks down, nods heads with people, reads the letter from his brother, beats the shit out of the messenger and then rows his boat. Damon has not said a single word past the beginning of the episode. When he says, come out crab feeder, come out Craig is and all that. Like he hasn't said a single thing since the very first five minutes of the episode, that entire last 20 minutes, Damon is silent and his acting, Matt Smith's acting is brilliant. The way he carries the end of that episode is so fucking good. I also love the fact some people don't like off-screen kills. I think that if you do them right, they're they're fine. And I actually yeah. really like the way we didn't need to see him in a crab feeder go back and forth. So like, I think that people need to there's a couple of things. First of all, it would have been very, very difficult to shoot a sensible scene in a tight fucking cave of them fighting. Like, <laughs> yeah. like pulling that off and it's not just pulling it off. It's making it look good cinematically. Yes. Yes. It would have been very difficult. But then on top of that, the crab feeder, although talked about in the last three episodes, he wasn't like a character that we needed to see die on screen. Like, like I get an off screen kill. If it's fucking look, if they, if one day we see somebody walk out with Damon's head and we don't get to see Damon and him fight, that would be like, what the fuck? How are you not going to show Damon's death? But this guy, the crab, like he's not really, that important like, yes. he's important but he's not that important yes, so like I, I get the way they shot it was i think really well done like he comes out covered in blood just dragging half of his fucking carcass like that shit was awesome yeah that was uh it sent the message exactly it sent the message i i really liked a lot of the choices they made in that episode obviously you know suspension of disbelief damon versus a million 
but we're already accepting that dragons are flying in the fucking skies and like burning people and you're accepting so much already so yeah. i mean he only fought i mean you know he, he yeah he yeah, yeah he, he killed a lot of people but only up until a point when his reinforcements came yes so it's not it wasn't the craziest thing it's like yes you do need some suspension of dis- disbelief because why did all of them come out just to cap- but like whatever it's it's Game of Thrones. It's House of the Dragon. You're literally watching a show where dragons are flying in the fucking sky and the regular people in the world are just accepting of it. So don't get your panties in a bunch about how realistic it was for him to run in and kill some people with his Valyrian steel sword. Uh, anyways, yeah, so that was that was basically like a little recap segment for House of the Dragon because we didn't really talk about episode two. And now we're past episode three. Episode four will be coming out by the time the next podcast airs. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to talk about that yeah. since this episode is kind of just... You know, it's what is this is one of our feel good episodes, one of the episodes where me and Kenny just talk. I really like these episodes. I hope you guys actually do enjoy this kind of episode as well. Yeah, I'm looking at this picture you have up of Blue Eyes White Dragon, and I'm just like thinking, I don't know. I love I love crossovers and shit. Like, how crazy would it be to see Blue Eyes in Game of Thrones? Oh my god, with those could you imagine? Too? Could you imagine Kaiba Targaryen? Just like fucking Kaiba would be a Targaryen, <laughs> just flying up with blue eyes. Like that would be cool shit. as shit. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> so before we transition to our next segment of the show, I want to give a shout out to the people over at our Patreon. So guys, thank you so much for supporting us. It's the beginning of the month, so it's a great time to subscribe to our Patreon, where we have exclusive episodes that you can only see on Patreon. Like there's episodes that literally only drop on Patreon, and because the podcast is over a year old, there's at least twelve of them now. Like genuinely, yeah. there's there's probably twelve, if not eleven or twelve episodes that are only on Patreon. Also, there's full video versions of the podcast on Patreon too. So if you like seeing us, you know, if it helps at all, uh, you can check that out as well. Anyways, we have Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Alex Flamers. Andre Reynolds, CJ, Dub K. Dad One, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, First to Home, Dales Fernares, S. Akuma, Mitchell Nallis, Midwest Gaming, William Shapiro, Dimitri Safirdas, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, Biz, Roz Weiss, Nick Stango, Scott Polera, Hanto at Dabbers, oh, not, not at Dabbers Gaming Cafe, Hanto, our two time national champion, and we also have Saul at Dabbers Gaming Cafe. There you go. Uh, Vincent Zen, Sarah Maria, Sonny for the Top Cut Podcast, Alex Ahern, and our newest patron, Philip, Philip Campa. Thank you guys so much for subscribing. We really appreciate it. As always, say, it goes a long way. And yeah, check that out. Okay, so now I want to get into our listener letters because we haven't done them in a while and we have quite a few. I don't think we'll get through all of them in this episode because the one from Dan Glennon is long as hell. And I don't mind it, but... uh I'm going to be reading this for quite a while, and then we'll discuss it, and then we'll get into some other listener letters that we have to wrap All up. Right. So if you guys are interested in listener letters and having us read yours out loud on the show and discuss it, please write into IamTheRePodcast at gmail.com, and we will read it aloud on the show. Again, that's IamTheRePodcast at gmail.com. There are no hyphens or anything in it. You just type in the letter I, the letter M, the letter N, and then ERD, you know, podcast at gmail.com. And we may read your letter out on the show. Uh, so far, we've read every single one that we've gotten. None of them have been like offensive or absurd or anything like that to the point where we couldn't. So as long as it's not some crazy shit that'll get us canceled, let us do that ourselves. Uh, we'll read it. Anyways, this one comes from Dan. 
Uh, shout out to Dan. He actually showed up to AU months ago to play Edison format with us. I think he's playing Chainburn. Dan's a cool guy. Uh, has a lot to say. So I didn't expect anything less when I saw this listener letter. But he says, hey, Fraser, Kenny, and insert guest name here. Uh, I was listening to this week's episode, and Nazar was talking about randoms playing against pros. I've had some all right Yu-Gi-Oh showings for a regional level, but I achieved much greater success with Magic the Gathering. I wasn't able to travel much outside of the Mid-Atlantic to play either game, but I always managed to sit closer to table one than most of the room. I've played against a fair number of pro players and had a winning record against them. I eventually, I eventually stopped feeling intimidated by the big names and certainly wasn't starstruck. I felt like Ash turning his hat backwards when I got the chance. That is until one tournament I went to Boston... In 2013, it was my first Grand Prix, which in Yu-Gi-Oh! would be like a Shonen Jump Championship. But there were about five of them each year, and they scheduled them all around the globe. So there were about five Grand Prix, he's saying. And instead of just being in like one area, they typically weren't just in North America. There would be Grand Prix all over on all different continents. Anyways, Dan goes on to say, The format was sealed. Each player is given six packs and must build a 40-card deck out of what they open. So crank the variants up to 11. Just by the way, this is me speaking now. I have played Magic the Gathering for a little bit back in 2010. And draft is definitely some shit. I know people practice draft on certain nights, like Thursdays. I think magic players sometimes practice draft and it is fun to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to buy a box. Everybody's going to get six packs and a little group of us, like four people are just going to draft and see if they could build a good deck. And that's like practice when you have to do it in actual like YCS level format. But that shit can be super ignorant. Obviously somebody could pack a card that like the most busted card in the pack. Right. And then it's just like that person basically can't lose. So I get what yeah. he means when he says crank the variance up to 11. Anyway, Dan goes on to say seal was by far my worst format. So that's this format. Honestly, my friends had to convince me to go. I was working nights at the time. So I went into the tournament pretty sleep deprived. Okay, extremely sleep-deprived. So much so that I drifted off to sleep several times in between rounds in some of the oddest places. But none of that mattered. I opened the nuts from my packs. Uh, I got idiot-proof green-red kill, which was basically just a beatdown deck, and I started off 6-0. When I saw my round 7 opponent, I woke up real fast, like real fucking fast. Table 63, uh, Dan Glennon versus John Finkel. He's so legendary that you two might have even heard his name. I almost shit a brick. I actually have heard the name John Finkel. Uh, I'm not really familiar with him that well, but I know that he is a magic pro player. He said mm -hmm. the only Yu-Gi-Oh player with the level of mythos, respect, and legacy that compares to Finkel is the Pharaoh himself. This dude has books written about not only his magic career, but also how he took Atlantic City for millions in a single weekend. That's crazy. Anyways, I get to the table first lay out my mat, and start pile shuffling my deck. Then he shows up. He's older than most players remember him as. His hair was beginning to thin out, and he appeared more settled in the life. Finkel, however, was, it, was as humble and mild-mannered as they came. Hello, I'm Dan, I said, extending my hand. He looks up with one hand, pulling the chair out. Hello, I'm John, as he shakes my hand. I didn't bother asking where he was from or how long he's been playing. Anyone paying $60 to enter a fucking magic tournament knows exactly who he was. <laughs> we exchanged pleasantries and talked a little bit about history considering we were in Boston next to us were two younger players when they saw John sit down they shut up and just started staring at him what's your name as one of the doe-eyed players John the two players just continued to stare looking like Holly Berry walked by topless John Ooh. sighed John sighed Finkel it was one of the cringiest things I've ever seen 
Magic players, you have 50 minutes. You may begin. He went silent. Finkel played very deliberately and slowly. He never shuffled his cards in his hand the way many of us have learned to do. He wasn't fidgety or particularly emotive. He never appeared to stop calculating like he was the Bobby Fisher of Magic the Gathering. Much of the match is actually a blur. I remember taking game two because my deck was actually absurd. Game three, however, I felt the difference in skill. Without over-explaining it, he found a way to manipulate six creatures on board in a dark hole type effect to where he would have the only creature left in play. I looked at the math required to do it and was speechless. He had to perfectly know how I would block and manipulate the board, and he did. He played me like a fiddle. No other player in any game has made me feel that way. And then we picked up our cards, shook hands, cleaned up, and walked away. I still believe I played it all properly, but I also believe I just got beat by someone who was better. But goddamn, it didn't make... He said, goddamn, I didn't make him work for it. And given who it was, I'm okay with that. I have this story as a result. While we were playing, I never felt out of the element or particularly overwhelmed. Looking back on it, though, it is rather surreal. I put myself in a position to where I could play a legend that countless other Magic players would do anything for that opportunity. It's like the people that played against LeBron in the Drew League. Those guys will talk about that game forever. I think it's pretty cool. They say never meet your heroes. Why? Because they'll put you in a loser's bracket. Your resident novelist, Dan Ziggy Glennon. <laughs> I like I like that at the end. Yeah, that <laughs> was a... put you in a fucking loser's bracket. This was a really good listener letter. And uh, yeah, Dan, I... I know that feeling to a degree because I played against a magic pro as well at Indianapolis. I want to say 2010 because that's the only year I played uh, magic. I played against a pro. I could tell he was a pro because people crowded around us. And I now mind you in 2010, this is actually right before I went to YCS. So I'm technically no one known at all in Yu-Gi-Oh, but I knew that this guy was someone because there was a crowd forming and I laughed. I said, who are you? Like I saw his name on a match lip, but I, basically was asking him, who are you? And he said, he just said his name, which I actually forget exactly which player it was. I want to say it was like Louis Scott Vargas or something like that. It wasn't. I forget his name. But he, oh, was it Jerry? His name was Jerry something? Anyway, if you guys know the Magic Pro name Jerry, I think his name was Jerry something. I, I can't remember exactly. But but he said, my name is, and he just literally said the name on the match lip when I said, who are you? And I laughed. I was like, you know what I mean? Who are you? And he just smirked. And I said, well, I'll tell you this. I know you're good because all these people are watching us, not for me. <laughs> and he just laughed. So he played, he beat me. And I was like, I told my friends, I said, yeah, I just got paired against uh, a definitely a magic pro because we had a crowd and it wasn't like it was the end of the tournament and people were just dropped and they're just watching. I said, they specifically came to watch him. So whoever he yeah. was, he was somebody. But yeah, he beat me, and I remember the feeling of like, yeah, it's when you know someone's better than you, there is definitely a certain feeling. Like you still try to play your best and do everything you can, but I mean, they dared the pro for a reason. And then, incidentally, I started my pro journey right after that. I go on to win a YCS and then top a whole bunch of shit, and then I start to build like my legacy. And then I start getting crowds of people watching me play people who like don't necessarily, not everyone, obviously who I played knew who I was. And I don't, I never was a person who cared about that. In fact, when people would ask me that question, like, who are you? Or do I know you from somewhere? I'll, that's such an awkward thing. And it's even Dan said in his letter, when jo, uh, John Finkel said like who he was, it was cringe. Like it was fucking cringe because yeah. one, basically everyone knows who he is, but having to say it 
is just it's like asking Billy Brake or like Patrick Hogan, like, who are you? It's like that's just annoying to have to say with that kind of legacy behind you. Yeah. So I get what he means. And you're not even trying to be cocky. It's like, yeah, I, I made a name for myself. It is what it is. And you're now making me say, like, yeah, I've, I've won a couple tournaments or I've topped a couple tournaments or whatever it is. And but yeah, don't meet your heroes, they say. It's not always as cracked up as it seems to be. I have some really bad stories that maybe one day I'll share on the I'm there podcast about heroes that I've met, at least before I met them, I thought they were. And then uh reality just wasn't. Yeah. I told mine, I mean, I would never say he was my hero, but I told the Alan Iverson story on, on the podcast before. Yeah. Where uh just a really quick version for anybody that didn't hear it is my dad took me to a Sixers game. And afterwards, we we were like at this spot, and every single Sixer that came out of the locker room signed this basketball, except Allen Iverson. And I was like, "Well," and that day he lost a fan. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, at that time, you were standing there for Allen Iverson, like all the yes. other Sixers. But every single Sixer signed that ball except AI. He just looked at me and walked past me. Um, and you'll, I was like, you'll that, never forget that, that guy's a bitch. Yep, yep. You will never ever forget that. So. I mean, I'm I'm a really big fan of like just trying to remain humble when you meet people who are genuinely a fan of you. I would like to think that for most of the fans that I've come across in my life, that I did treat them like one, the most important thing, like a person. Let's start off with that. But also just like kindly, right? Like even if I'm not necessarily having the best day, I still try to like put on a good act. And that is hard because people do feel entitled people definitely feel entitled to like your time and just your space. And they don't realize that you may have your, you're human too. You may have your own shit going on, but I still try to put on a good act for them. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. Like some heroes are actually, when you meet them, it's, it's actually not that bad. And then some of them are fucking trash and you're like, I wish I never met you. Yep. Yeah. It's awkward. It definitely is awkward the way some people act. Yeah. All right. So here is another listener letter is from our boy, Austin Cruz, who's been supporting the podcast. Literally, Austin is a day one. Like Austin has been out here. He is literally the second name that I read off. And I've been reading that name off since August 10th. And we started our Patreon like August fucking 5th or some shit. I think he was the first ever listener letter too. Yes, I think he was. So shout out to Austin. He's been writing in for a long time. This one is on Game Theory, our Game Theory episode. And that episode was a Patreon exclusive, so it is only available to people who are on our Patreon at at least the party member tier. Uh, So if you haven't heard that episode and you are interested in us talking about game theory, I basically go over some of the things that I think about Yu-Gi-Oh! and just how to play correctly, how to side deck correctly, stuff like that. I talk about all kinds of different theories. Um, If you're interested in that type of episode, it is on our Patreon. But anyways, Austin says, so one reason why I love Glad B so much is because that deck taught me how to do all of those things, especially using life as a resource. That's one of the topics that I brought up in the episode was how life points are meant to be used as a resource. Don't be scared to just pass. In that is some format, you won't just die like 99% of the time. Anyways, he says, uh, also, how to abuse rulings certain cards have. Tag out, chain evenly was really fun in zoo format. Oh shit, so you were playing Glad Beast in 2017 when they were far past their prime. He says, uh, one issue I still have, but getting better is learning how to side. One thing I've learned though that really stood out was that at first I was surprised that games grinded out in the current format. So I'm trying to wait, what is this? One thing I've learned though that really stood out 
was at first I was surprised that games grinded out in the current formats. Okay, so I think he's just saying like in current Yu-Gi-Oh, some games end up going to a grindy session that you don't always expect because most modern Yu-Gi-Oh games just end on like turns one or two. He said, I even ran back uh, Glad Beast when they got a plethora of newer support. Still can't get over. They made a GB version of Prisma. But I've noticed that even with all these big push and heavy negate boards, higher level playing more often than not turns into a grind game. Sure, you still might get lucky and get in a four stock every now and then. <laughs> Smash reference. But the big combos don't pan out as much as people think. P.S. Strategic scooping without playing game one has been really fun when you're on fun rogue strategies. Uh, yeah, so I I wrote an entire article about scoop phase. I think it was called Enter Scoop Phase. It's on ARG's website, which still exists. And it does talk about how scooping for the sake of time is important and knowing when you literally cannot win. So I won't scoop if I have outs. I just don't believe in scooping when you have outs. Like I see people scooping. I talked about this in that episode too. Like I hate when people give the game up and they could have drawn out of it. Like, yes, sure. The odds are very low, but you had a chance. Yeah. Um, I hate that, but I do think that there is something to be said about strategic scooping. So if your opponent opens up ridiculous and your hand cannot deal with it, so you scoop to literally not show them what you're playing. That way they can't side deck against you at all. I think that that is worthwhile. And I've done that a couple times and not many times, but I've done it enough to where it's mattered because it'll be like round one or two where people don't know what I'm playing yet. And they'll do something so ridiculous turn one. I'm like, okay, fuck that. I'm just going to scoop. And that way, you know, game two, you get to side against them. They can't side against you. That's a huge advantage in Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, that's a huge advantage. So, yeah, scooping strategically definitely makes sense. But I I do know that not every Yu-Gi-Oh game, you know, ends turn one, turn two in modern format. They do end up grindy, but even more surprisingly is that the games take just as long as an Edison grind fest. And it'll only be two or three turns because the turns take 10 minutes. Yeah. The full combo, like even if you're shortcutting and everything, like it'll still take five to seven minutes to like go through the deck and do all the bullshit. I literally just watched Oceanics finals. I was watching Jake Quincy was, uh, he has a YouTube channel. Shout out to Jake Quincy. He has a YouTube channel where he basically just rewatches the matches and he commentates over top of it. Uh, which is really cool. I like that. So it's kind of like what DB Grinder does. Uh, but I don't really know DB Grinder that well, even though he I did watch some of his videos, but like I literally I don't I never I don't think I've ever met him, but I know Jake Quincy. So I was watching Jake commentate over top of Oceanics uh finals this past weekend, and turn one, game one, took 10 minutes, actually. And the guy who was playing was actually moving at a pretty speedy pace. And despite all of that, when the, his turn was over, 10 minutes had disappeared and on the clock. And I, I couldn't believe it because as I was watching it, because of how many things he did, it didn't seem like 10 minutes passed. 10 minutes yeah. is a long fucking time, by the way. That's so fucking 10 long minutes is a, a combo. A, bro, imagine I just stopped talking. We Imagine we just stopped talking right now for 10 minutes. It would seem like an eternity to the people listening to this podcast. It would seem like a fucking eternity if we just stopped talking for 10 minutes and just had 10 minutes of dead space. So, like, watching someone do something for 10 minutes, yes, it makes the time go by faster, but it's still 10 minutes of the 40-minute timer. And, yeah, uh, the guy hey, did not scoop, and he ended up winning, but, you know, it's he played because he felt like he had a chance to win. Think about winning. how crazy that is. Like, let's just say 
10 minutes is the average. I don't think it is, but let's say it is 10 minutes the average. That means that if it goes to game three, 30 of the 40 minutes is spent on the first turn of the game yep. in each in each game. Like, yep. that's fucking crazy. And that means you only get 10 minutes, 10 minutes of playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Which is really bad. Uh, if that was just turn one and the guy did not scoop, so that means game one took longer than 10 minutes. I think game one actually took 20 minutes because the guy who went second... He took forever too, and not he didn't slow play. He was playing at a very normal, decent pace, but he broke the board and then basically won. But it took so much. He had the Miller's deck, he had the cut, shuffle, mill, cut, shuffle, mill, fuse, extra deck, fuse, extra deck, overlay. It was a lot. Super poly this. A second super poly got drawn. Super poly again. It was a lot of playing. And so he ended up winning. And then game two, uh, the other guy won. And then they went to game three and it went into time. And then they had to play so awkward because basically time or it was getting close to time. When game three started, they had very few minutes left, which really sucks because this is the fucking finals. This determines the winner of that entire area of the world, like Australia, New Zealand. It determined the winner of that entire area. Like you are the champion. You are the national champion of that area. And this shit is going to time. It's going to be decided basically by time. Like that was so corny to me. I still think uh, final should at least be untimed or if not 60 minutes. Knowing that games take by themselves or turns take by themselves 10 minutes and no one got a slow play warning that that, like that should, that should tell you, I could see if at the end of the 10 minute turn, a judge grabbed the slip and was like, I'm giving you a slow play warning because that took entirely too long. I let you play it out, but you took what happened was just normal. They do. They really need to revisit their time rules. Like there's obviously something wrong with them at, at, at current. You have to take into consideration what the game is. Like, it's been 40 minutes since the game was Summon a Four-Star Vanilla. Yes. Like, the game takes longer than Summon a Four-Star Vanilla now, and the time rules in general just need to be updated. Yep. Like, a it, lot. It, it's really bad. The time rules need to be updated. So, an interesting thing that's happening, though, is that there was an announcement for YCS Niagara that is literally this weekend. And apparently, they are increasing the North American time per round to 45 minutes. Now, I don't know what the idea was behind increasing it only five minutes. Uh, something is better than nothing, but I don't think that the problem is just the time in a round. I think that the real problem is the end of round procedure is yeah. still fucking awful. The whole end of phase thing is still bad, and I really wish that they would just do end of turn at the very least end of turn. I don't think your tournaments are going to take that much longer if you let people play out their entire turn. But end of phase causes so much fighting and nonsense with people saying, I said attack. He didn't say attack. He didn't enter his battle phase. Yes, I did. There's just a whole, like people having to stop making their board midway through the combo because the timer says 10 seconds. So they're like going through the extra deck and their fucking cards are just flying everywhere and it gets really messy on the board. And they're like, attack. It's yeah. a battle phase. And I, I hate seeing it. I, I really hate seeing it. It turns people into like, it just brings out the worst in people. The new time rules bring out the worst in people. And I just wish that it wasn't that way. I don't think that adding five minutes is going to solve mystic minds problem. Yeah. I think, I think that uh, two things. One, I get why they can't add more than five minutes. Like they have to do it once. You think about it, even adding five minutes after 10 or 12 rounds, that's a whole extra hour that you have to buy the venue. Yeah. Um, so I get that, but I do think, that the end of time rules, it should it should be that you get to finish your turn 
And I would even argue that the next player gets one turn after that. That's like you usually so, get to finish your turn, and then the next player gets to do one turn, and then that's it. Somebody told me, I don't know if they said it on this podcast, someone said that Jeff Jones actually was one of the people who said that that should be how it is. That, like, it should be you finish the whole turn, so time is called. Turn player, finish out your turn, then there's one turn after that, obviously given to the opponent, and that's it. Like that's how yeah, I think that's the least degenerate way, because if it's just because even if it's just you get to finish your turn, yeah. then you can still be degenerate in like in essentially milling time. That oh, way, yeah. the other person will. doesn't get a turn. People but if it's absolutely that, will. So if it's that the other person, no matter what time's called, is going to get a turn, then it makes it a lot harder to be degenerate. Yep. And at the end of the day, I mean, we are trying to cut down on the degeneracy. So, yeah, I. uh I basically agree. Like I, I, I think, I think that it should be at the bare minimum because Konami is a company. That I think they don't like taking major steps in a direction that the community wants for whatever reason. So they may just dip their feet in and do end of turn. But right now we got nothing. Like right, right now but we still just have nothing. To be fair, though, like they went. They were going left and went right hard as hell because the old time rules used to be like times called and then you get like three turns or something. Yeah, it was zero, one, two, three. Yeah. So like they went from time ending and there's like three turns played out to no, it stops at the end of whatever fucking phase you're on. Like they they went all the way the other way and we're like, hey, let's just go into the middle of those two. Yeah. Yeah. I um. Yeah, I agree. Like, I I think that they did go ham, but what I, what I was saying in terms of them going hard all at once is that they tend to not do it when a community wants it. So no one expected yeah. the time rules to become what they are. And it is extreme. It is, like, I agree with you. It is It was an extreme thing to go from what it was to what it is now. But the community didn't ask for that. The community is asking and pleading. Yeah, they yeah. are pleading Mystic Mind Ban and fix the time rules. Mystic Mind Ban, fix the time rules. Mystic Mind Ban, fix the time rules. I see that shit under literally every time the Konami official Facebook page and Twitter, whatever, whenever they post, every comment is like, where's the ban list? Ban Mystic Mind, please. Ban Siphon Mystic Mind. Fix the time rules. It's just that constantly. So funny. Yeah. But uh, I think we could actually end it here. We have two more listener letters. We will read them at a later podcast. Uh, I think that these will be perfect for that. One is on Dragon Ball Super Superhero, and Ooh. one is on Monster Hunter Sunbreak. So we'll just do those maybe in our next episode or the one after that. I think next episode we might have a guest. So if we have a guest, then we won't be doing our listener letters for that. But I don't know what Kenny's doing right now. If you're watching this on Patreon, he's doing something. Trying to, I'm eyebrows. trying to wave my eyebrows, but it's hard to do. You're fucking I'm trying to like, I'm trying to make my eyebrows do a wave, but you, it's like... It's you not, are strange, man. Did you ever see that? I, I don't. It was like a really old YouTube video. It's like some girl, and she like makes her eyebrows like do a wave like this. I, her eyebrows are doing it. I did not. It looks so fucking cool. <laughs> I can move my eyebrows. Like I can isolate them. I can you know do the people's eyebrow. I practice it a lot. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, but I can't. I can't do that. I can't make them wave and all that. Which is wild. It's such a useless talent. But I want to know how to do it. You love that type of shit. <laughs> you love it. Anyways, guys, as I always say, do the things that make you happy. Also, I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. Let us know if you like these kind of episodes where we just go off about anything. Like We just kind of talk about just anything. It's obviously still nerve-related stuff, right? We talked a lot about Game of Thrones. We talked about Yu-Gi-Oh! a little bit. 
Um, yeah, we talked about all different all different things in general, but let us know if this is the kind of episode that you like, because I personally really like these episodes, and Same. these are the ones that are always kind of named randomly. They don't have... They, they like these episodes will not have a, a a title like House of the Dragon episode three review or whatever. It won't be that. This, yeah, one, yeah. this episode will likely be called something about Damon Targaryen and the balsamic vinegar. <laughs> like, not the balsamic. The oh, balsamic man. vinegar. Uh, yeah. I forgot that we talked about Elmo, yes. dude. That Elmo shit. If you guys haven't just look up Elmo and Rocco stuff, I promise you, you will laugh so fucking. Elmo just snapping when it's a rock. How's he going to eat the cookies? Zoe? how explain it to me. Like <laughs> Elmo just snapping on this fucking rock. He is not having any of it. Cause that rock is fucked up. It stole, it steals his turns and shit. Like it was his turn. Oh yeah. You're fucking roboting. Anyway, that's a, I won't cut you off. I was going to say that's, that's a sign right there, but Kenny started roboting because not his internet isn't shit, but his, his neighbor, is fucking broadcasting some radio nonsense that fucks up his audio sometimes. So if you just heard that, then that's what that was at the end of the episode. Thank God it's at the very end, though. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. But all right, we're going to get out of here. As always, guys, do the things that make you happy. Check out those Elmo videos. That's what Kenny was trying to tell you. And uh, yeah, until next time. Peace. Thank you.